So I want to tell you about the time I went dead fish fishing. I was seven years old, walking near my family's house in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And my friends Scott and Amy and myself passed a sewer grate. And looking down on that sewer grate, we saw a dead fish laying there about six feet below the street surface, about this big. Maybe this big. <laughs> it's a fishtail. And there was something in us that said, we got to catch this fish. And so I ran back to my house. I said, Mom, where's the fishing pole? And she said, it's out in the garage. And I walked out there and I got something that I, in my memory is probably like a, like a Fisher Price, barely above a Fisher Price kind of uh, fishing pole. And we took it out and we lowered it through the grate and just kind of wiggled it in front of the face of the dead fish. I don't know, I thought that somehow, you know, fish went to fishing poles and it would magically reincarnate itself and come back to life and hop right on. Didn't do it. And I don't know what my thought was anyway, that somehow if we tried to finagle it into the mouth of the dead fish, that I could walk in proud and say, we're having sewer fish for dinner. <laughs> Who's hungry? We were not successful in retrieving the dead fish. And still to this day, I wonder, what drew me to this dead fish? And seeing today's movie, I knew exactly what it was. It was an opportunity in the 70s suburb in which I lived, in which reality was honestly pretty sanitized. I didn't come across dead things very often. I didn't come across what in my mind was a huge fish hundreds of miles from the ocean. I didn't encounter death or strangers very often. And so it compelled my attention, this dead fish waiting for me to fish it out. Wildness, strangeness is what today's movie is about. This last movie of the summer spirit flicks series, Mud. It's the story of two young teenage boys in the Arkansas backwoods who come across a man named Mud, a fugitive, on the run. On the run because he killed a man. Killed a man who had been brutal to Mud's former girlfriend, and he's being hunted by the law, and he's being hunted by that dead man's equally brutal family. Mud needs these two young boys to help him with food, with shelter, and with materials, so eventually he can escape down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico, be reunited with his lost love, and find his freedom. Now, in style and in content, this movie borrows a whole bunch from Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, Stand By Me, if you remember that, that uh, Stephen King little novella called The Body, Kids Out in Search of a Dead Body, and also a movie from last year that I preached on Beasts of the Southern Wild that some of you may have seen as well. What unites all of these things, this movie, those sources, is this. They are all about touching real wildness. The wildness that is at the heart of each and every one of our lives. That finally, fundamentally, life is untamable. Life is wild. 
And when we discover that wildness, touch that wildness, overcome our fear or resistance to that wildness, we grow. We grow remarkably as human beings. Now, I'm recognizing that some of you, when you hear this word wild, you might think of something that's just completely untethered from reality. You might hear, you might hear something that's dangerous. You might hear something that's gone off the rails. You might hear or see something like this. If you've been off social media for the last week, well, actually, congratulations. This is Miley Cyrus at last week's Video Music Awards. A friend of mine put it really well on Facebook in his uh, post last Monday morning, uh, copying to a kind of cognitive dissonance. He said, my newsfeed is currently a mix of Miley Cyrus grinding and twerking photos, and then photos of people's children going back to school. Now, there has been a lot of critique of Miley Cyrus's performance at the Video Music Awards last week. That was kind of a, a minstrel show, that she kind of was ripping off what she deemed to be black music and black culture as a way to prove she was, you know, street now, or she was a little dangerous. And in that way, it really did appear as a minstrel show, a white person acting black with no authenticity whatsoever. Other people have said that Robin Thicke, who also was one of her, shall we say, dance partners in the evening. <laughs> Singing his creepy, really awful song, which essentially says no does not mean no, that Miley Cyrus was the one to catch all the hell about over-sexualizing it, whereas he, the 36-year-old married man, didn't really hear too much about his problem. What I want to say, however you think about the performance at the VMAs last week, or maybe you have no thoughts about it whatsoever. Good for you. <laughs> what I want to say is this. There is nothing wild in this. It's just a commodity. It's simulated. It was scripted. We know this. They wanted to get a rise out of us. Heard as much from Miley Cyrus's manager this past week. Everything went just about as well as it could because <laughs> people are talking about it and when you talk about it, then you sell product. It was a spectacle, but it had nothing to do with wildness. See, what draws the boys to mud in this movie isn't spectacle. I mean, there's a craziness in him. There's a craziness in this character played by Matthew McConaughey. It's one of his best roles in decades, I think. I mean, he's all about spells and smoking spirits out and, and, and this big snake tattoo that he says will charm the snakes off him, make sure he never gets bit again by another copperhead snake like when he was a kid. There's something weird and exotic about him, but it's not the wildness that draws the kids to him. Maybe because they're 14 years old and school's not in session, they're looking for something to do. They're looking to be busy. They're looking for a project to keep themselves occupied not be bored. But that's not the wildness. What calls them to mud and to this world beyond the normal world is what calls them to the real wild, the acknowledgement that life is untamable, that life, the best part of our lives, is always off the map and cannot be charted. Now, why? Why are they drawn to this wildness? 
It's because it's already part of their lives. Ellis, who's kind of the main character of the two boys, his home life is disintegrating under economic pressure, under relationship pressure. His family life is coming apart. But the adults don't talk about it. He's a young teen trying to navigate that social environment of his friends, of maybe finding a girlfriend. And he's learning in some cruel ways that sometimes what people say in one moment, they do not follow up in the next. People are not honest in his world. And he's finding it wild. Yes, he's finding it hard to navigate. And at least in nature, with mud, with this bizarre character, he finds someone who acknowledges that life is wild. And in the wild, there is all that stuff that he believes in. Love and death and adventure and freedom. These are the classics of any quest. And in the life in the wild, these things are honored. But he knows, as maybe we know this morning, that sometimes it's real easy to distract ourselves from the basic wildness of life. To distract ourselves that so much of what really matters to us is off the map, cannot be contained, constrained. Sometimes we get lost in this life, not in the wild, but in our own thoughts, in the craziness of our lives, lost in the drama of telling stories about ourselves or stories of other people, lost in the drama maybe because we're afraid of those wide open spaces, because we think if we can just manage everything in our lives, then ultimately everything will be fine. Because our ego wants to be, as David Foster Wallace said in that video that went around about three months ago at the start of this summer, that maybe our ego wants us to believe we are lords of a tiny skull-sized kingdom all alone at the center of the universe. When we get lost in the craziness of our own dramas, we never take a step back and ask ourselves, is this drama, is the story that I'm living really the story that wants to live in me? We can also forget the basic wildness of life and distract ourselves from the wildness of life by its unchartedness because of our busyness. Because there's just so much to do and there's so many places to go and there's so many things to get done that busyness can be forgetfulness. Forgetfulness that the wild nature of life wants to knock on our doors and say, come out and play. Come out and find the true nature of life, this adventure, this love, and yes, death, this freedom that is always here for us. But for so many adults, sometimes we just keep refusing the knock on the door on the wild things. And we think we're too grown up to admit that not every hour has to be occupied by our busyness. The way I'm talking about it, wildness is a grace-filled antidote to our craziness and our busyness. See, we think the wild is violent. Oh my God, there's been another shark attack. That makes 10 whole shark attacks in the last year in the entire world. We need to be afraid of this. The wild is violent. The wild has nothing. The wilderness has nothing on our own craziness and our own busyness. 
which are the real violence and lead to physical violence because they're from the violence, the violation of ignoring our lives, of missing love, of missing the opportunities to stand in the spaces and the places in which we cannot automatically say, I know what this thing is. I know who this person is. And we have to say, I don't know. But in that wildness, we learn. In that wildness, we learn to keep faith and trust that we can develop capacities that we do not presently have keep faith with wildness is one of the most profound things we can do in this life. There's a line, a lovely line, from Dr. Zhivago, the sprawling Russian novel that maybe some of you have seen the movie, although I think I have yet to meet actually one person, save for one person who has read the entire book. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe some of you have. The person who shared this lovely line with me was a person who was dying. Not immediately, but they knew it would be happening in the next couple of years. See, when you're coming to be born, or when you're dying, and by the way, we're each a little bit of both right now in our lives, because both are here at the same time. When we live in birth and live with the knowledge of death, we can't pretend that life is not wild. So my dying friend read me this line from Dr. Shivago. It's about a character whose life has been consumed by busyness and craziness, hers and other people's, and one day finds herself out in nature walking along a pilgrimage path towards a religious shrine. And she steps off the path for just a moment out into a field, and she takes a deep breath, and she feels herself connected to everything and finds herself again, remembers the meaning of her life, and then these words we read. She was here on earth to make sense of this earth's wild enchantment and to call each thing by its right name. To make sense of life's wild enchantment and to call each thing by its right name. It can be tough to learn the names of the things and the people and the experiences that feel unusual, the wild surprises, the things we do not know and cannot name immediately. And this is where the faith building starts, to honor the unknowing and recognizing it as unknowing, because in that space we get the practice and the presence to stand with what is wild. I mentioned a movie Beasts of the Southern Wild earlier today. And some of you might know who this wonderful young actress is. She was the youngest person ever nominated for Academy Award for Best Actress. And this was at the Academy Awards. I love, by the way, I don't know, what would you call that? Uh, an accessory? <laughs> Not a purse, but an accessory. It's a, some kind of fake dog, but it's really cool. I always thought it was cute. And as she was being interviewed at the Academy Awards, a reporter whose job it is, by the way, to know what they don't know, or at least learn about it. That's a name that I think is not that familiar to many of us. We wouldn't know how to announce it immediately, how to pronounce it. And this reporter says to this young actress, I'm going to call you Annie. 
she's in a remake of the musical Annie that my niece is actually just saw on Broadway two days ago. She says, I'm going to call you Annie, this reporter said. And this young actor says, no. My name is Quivengene. How quickly we can be like that reporter in this life. We spy something we don't know around us or within us. We make that thing or a person or another person's experience unusual. And instead of learning the wild enchantment, instead of learning to call things by their true names, we say, no, I'm going to affix it with this label. That, by the way, is violence. That, by the way, is refusing to see the reality that's around us. I'm going to call you Annie. Maybe it's not an actress whose name we can't pronounce. Maybe it's something else. We've got to recognize, all of us, I recognize this within myself, how quickly we can want to domesticate our lives. <laughs> domesticate our lives all the way down, leaving no room for the untamed nature of life. And that means, you know what? Life remains untamed. It means that we're not tasting it. <laughs> it means that we've boxed, ourse boxed ourselves in to a tiny little space in which we're not growing. So it takes time and patience to learn and to keep faith with the wildness of life. This is what we're talking about in one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings when we talk about that just as the caterpillar contains the seed of the butterfly yet to be, we have the potential for new life within each and every one of us. Within each and every one of us, there is that potential for new life just like that caterpillar who heads into that being and that becoming as a butterfly. But if we're honest... You can imagine what it's like to be that caterpillar is becoming the butterfly. We might admit one other thing. That transformation is not comfortable. It might even feel a lot like death. Letting go of one way of being so that we can transform into something that we are called to be. Very often we resist the wildness, the inherent wildness of life because we imagine and we believe that someday, in some way, it will all balance out and life, we can make it inherently stable. <laughs> Years ago, I was involved in a congregation and planning and leading an event with another person on this team. And interesting guy. Interesting. That's a Best choice I can use. Very bright. But when we would bump up against something that he didn't like, these words inevitably came out of his mouth. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> not I disagree because, or have we thought about it this way, but he went right to, I'm not comfortable with that. I spent hours, days, other people spent hours and days on that team trying to convince him why he should be comfortable. <laughs> it's a fruitless exercise. <laughs> Until years later, you know, it's like you're in one of those moments and you only think about it after the fact, oh, I got the perfect comeback. I got the perfect comeback. Not helpful because I can't go back to back then, but I got the perfect comeback now. Well, this is what I would have said. Since when is it our role here 
to make you or anyone else comfortable. (laughs) That might have broken open that conversation in a healthy way. Parker Palmer, the great Quaker teacher, talks about the life of soul and soulfulness. If we really want to connect with it in a way we might say that is charged full, it's like going out into the wilderness and being really curious about this wild animal that is both a mixture of fierce and frightened. If we ignore that wild animal, that representation of soul, we'll never get in touch with who we are. We'll just live a boundaried and bordered life boxing ourselves in. Or if we go galumphing toward that wild animal, all noise and bluster, all that wild animal will do is run away from us. In our craziness, in our busyness, in our distraction, we miss the wildness of soul. And so what is needed for us to approach the wildness of life, which is to say our own lives, attention, care, patience, and presence. Now, you don't have to go into the woods to meet the wild. It's right here, right among us, right now. Although I do have to say going into the wilderness helps. There are two times in the last couple years of my life that I was most in touch with, not with comfort at all, And not with living a balanced life, but with living a peaceful life. And they were times when I was in the wilderness. One inside, one outside. One an eight-day silent retreat. The other, and I talked about this in a message a few weeks ago, eight days in outward bound in the woods of western North Carolina. Both of those trips, retreats, pilgrimages ended up the same way. In me, in tears and in joy. Because you're actually going to sit and listen to what goes on in your head and pay attention to what's going on around you. And you're going to put yourself in a situation where for a day or maybe eight days, all you have to carry is what you can carry on your back. (laughs) Life is no longer going to be sanitized or sanitary. (laughs) We will recognize the wildness of life again. And that's why the joy and the tears found me. Because the wildness found me. And the tears were not of sadness. They were of that joy that says, Here, I am connected to this life. I can move beyond that comfort zone that I like to stay in so much. Go into those unconquered places, not to conquer them and plant my flag and say, this is mine. But simply because those wild places called out and said, pay attention. Pay attention and grow. Now, maybe you don't have an eight-day silent retreat coming up. Or you don't have eight days coming up in the North Carolina wilderness. But maybe you can use something that is close to hand and close to heart for many of us, which is that this is, this weekend, the unofficial end of summer. And it is back to school time. 
And it is a passageway into something new. After the Newtown massacre last year, I saw a lot of parents and a lot of people posting in social media, online and places like Facebook, these words from Frederick Buechner, minister and novelist. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here is the world. (laughs) Wild things, beautiful, terrible, awe-inspiring, frightening, maddening, enlightening. Here is the world. I want to say we are the world, but (laughs) that has a different association than I was thinking of. But it's still true. The wildness is within us and all around us, and our lives are fundamentally untamable. So if we don't try to tame, what can we do? We can pay attention. Wild things will happen. Wild things are happening. May we be the kind of people who can keep faith with all the beautiful, enlightening wildness that is our lives. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, of this very moment, of this wild moment, who through the voices of many texts and traditions has reminded us over and over again, creation is not long ago and far away, but creation is ongoing. May we invite ourselves to see the wildness and the preciousness of this life. To know that if the choice is not really there, to tame life. And instead we might do this. Ask ourselves what is necessary to go along for this wonderful ride. To ride deeply upon the currents of faith and love and blessing. And to let go of that need to want to tame or control it all. And instead have hearts burst wide open. And hearts capable of meeting this life exactly where it is. Amen.